everybody, Tim Stafford and Mike Erie here coming at you. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so grateful to uh, play a small, small part in your day. And, um, and uh, fall is in the air. An election is happening. This will uh, air on Monday. Election is happening tomorrow. Um, and holy moly. Tim, it seems... I mean, I don't know if you know this, but it seems like politics has kind of become center stage right now. I don't know. Do you feel the same way? I feel like it's been that for a couple months at least, or yeah. maybe the last couple of years. Yeah, I was, I was being, I was trying to be sarcastic there. Like, oh, yeah, I was. I mean, I was just coming alongside you sarcastically. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does, Mike. It does seem like politics has become an issue. Um, <laughs> So, so we wanted to take just the last couple of episodes right before the election. So we talked to Caitlin last episode. Um, she's a rock star. And what a fun conversation about the ways in which we're formed politically, even in ways we're not aware of. Um, and then today, we wanted to touch on <laughs> the very non-controversial topic of abortion. Ooh. And uh, right. And so what the world needs is more men talking about abortion. Um, uh, and so we're here to offer more, uh, and because more... of that, we went and recruited another man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We invited sky to come, uh, and join us. <laughs> and, um, our friend sky from the Holy post is going to be our guest today. He, um, uh, along with Phil Vischer produced a, another one of their videos. And this was on, uh, the abortion, the, the, the topic of abortion as it pertains to one issue voting. Yeah. And um, and so we thought, I mean, certainly this is controversial. So there are a whole bunch of disclaimers coming, but we <laughs> thought um, it would be uh, appropriate to air this topic right before the election because I think for a lot of people, at least the a lot of people that I'm aware of, um, the abortion topic is the singular focus of their presidential vote. Yes. And uh, and so they're willing to overlook um, President Trump's uh, behavior or character or whatever uh, because he has been appointing pro-life justices. And um, and likewise, even if there were a, um, a, an attractive de Democratic candidate, they would never consider voting for a candidate because um, of the Democratic uh, Party platform considering abortion. And even when I've I've you know dipped my toe in the Facebook waters, um, uh, we had an anti-racist. It was just a, you know, Christians shouldn't be shy about denouncing white supremacy, right? I mean, it seems like we should be leading that conversation. And literally, the first comment on the post was about abortion. Yeah. And so, um, what Sky put together on this video, and what we're going to explore is the argument that the most pro-life thing you can do is to vote for a Republican president who will appoint Supreme Court justices whose goal it is to overturn Roe v. Wade. Right. And Sky argues uh, that, that, in, that the data and the facts do not bear that argument out. So uh, a couple of things here at the start. Number one, we have talked with Bonnie and others about um, the abortion issue as an issue. Yeah, we are many, we, many episodes on many, this topic. yes, many episodes on this topic. And so, um, this is not what what, what we want to make clear is that this isn't an argument advocating for a pro life over pro choice position. This is an argument made by pro life people about how their vote gets determined by one singular issue. And Sky is raising the question that if you're pro-life, there may be more effective ways of voting pro-life than um, the presidential election. Yeah, I think uh, the initial response is always like, you're telling me to be pro-choice. You're telling me that um, you're, and that's not what the video, that's not the point of it at all. It's just, he's trying to, give content to the conversation not saying like hey you're wrong jump over to this side of the fence right i feel like that's a lot of time the react anytime you try to have a conversation about this people initially get defensive and say you know it just automatically becomes a me versus you 
right. us versus them. Right. And that's not the point of this. No, it's not. And, and it and it very much argues against the position that I was told to, told to hold, which is that you give no ground, you don't compromise. Um, this is, you know, this is the most important issue that um, that determines how you vote in a presidential election. Yeah. And uh, and so just, you know, just to get it out there, and, and we've talked about this in, in past episodes, we are, um, well, I shouldn't say we, because I don't know exactly how you'd articulate this. I consider myself pro-life um, from womb to tomb. And that means I'm very eclectic. So do do I think um, uh, at, a, at, at a certain point, uh, babies have ontological status in the womb? Yes. Do I think abortion should be permitted in some cases? Yes. Um, I, would I would I do anything to see the amount of abortions reduced? Um, I wouldn't do anything, but I'd love to see that. And so would a lot of yeah. my pro-choice friends. I mean, we we're all a lot of sane people are working to decrease the 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 reasons why abortion is an attractive alternative, not just overturn yeah. the issue. Um, but I'm also pro-woman and pro unwed mother and pro a mom um, and pro woman who had an abortion and pro immigrant and pro um, uh, uh, alien and stranger and anti uh, war and anti death penalty. I mean, that all to me is pro life anti euthanasia. Um, those are political issues that, that for me come out of a pro-life sort of ethic. Yeah. Um, do, do I think there are exceptions and can be exceptions? Well, sure. Um, but, but I want you to know this it, it, because um, we're, not, we're not trying to smuggle in some sort of other agenda by having SCON. What we're trying, exactly. to, we're trying to say, for those of you who are pro-life, is voting Republican the most pro-life thing you can do? And that's what Sky is calling into question. Right. So that's the reason we wanted to have this conversation. Because yeah. I think I think many of us, regardless of how you feel about the legality of the issue, would love to see circumstances change so that young women didn't feel hopeless yeah. and uh, and people not feel uh, alone or shamed. Um, and um, that that men take greater responsibility. Um, yes. and that um, the socioeconomic factors that make this attractive are dealt with. Yes. And so and those stats come up in this too. That's, I think that's what's helpful. For me, it's one of those things where it's like what we talked about with Caitlin last week is that I don't want to be, I don't want to be formed by anything unconsciously. Mm. Like I, I don't, I, I'm in a season of, of, you know, challenging and, and seeking and collecting and analyzing. And I'm doing that through prayer too, trying to figure out what is right, what is wrong, what is Jesus looking to do? What has God been doing? Like, I, I want to know those things. Mm -hmm. And often I think not just with the abortion topic, but just with a lot of church topics, I have been unconsciously formed and not all of those formations are healthy or productive. Yeah. So yep. if you can hold some things loosely enough to find out if it's what, if it really is the right version or if it really is what God is trying to do or if it really is what Jesus said, uh, I feel like it gives Jesus a little bit of room to really help you become that cruciform, like to really <laughs> mm -hmm. take on and embody Jesus. I feel like that's what we've been going through with the Sermon on the Mount is like, yeah. hey, you heard it said, but yeah. I say. <laughs> yep, yep. And and yeah, and next episode we'll be back. We'll be back there. Um, Round but, two. Yes, but our, our concern has been, what are the ethics that govern the political entity called the kingdom of God? And... Um, and how it gets played out can be a matter of all sorts of disagreement, and it is, right? We're in a system that invites us for opinion and hallelujah for that. Um, but that all of that falls under our first allegiance. Mm -hmm. And so as you go to vote this week, um, realize that your ballot, that, that moment where you fill out a ballot, is not the most important political thing you do. The most important political thing that you do is is 
and forgive the sort of cliched way of saying this, but you actually vote every day, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're political every day. And do you advocate for the poor and the marginalized? Do you advocate for law, an ethic of life? Do you work to create situations where the, the, the double standards between men and women are eliminated? Um, are you voting for the inclusive and radical nature of the kingdom of God in, in its nonviolent form? Are you yeah. voting for compassion and forgiveness and reconciliation and not coveting and fidelity, right? That's what we're talking about. And so great, do your vote, hallelujah, but your most political act isn't that. That's In some ways, that's the least political thing that you do. Right. The most political thing that you do is you be the, the, you choose a way of being in the world. And does that reflect the kingdom or not? That's the that's the issue. So yeah. let's have at it. We'll, let's pray for the process. Let's pray for safety. Let's pray um, that increasingly God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And um, and let's be agitators for good and uh, and mercy and um, yeah. and uh, and so anyway, um, one quick thing before we go, and I should have mentioned this up top. Uh, but I, I, we had a couple of people join our Patreon team, so I know this is a bit of a left turn, but I have to say it <laughs> because um, we have a, we have a Daniel and a Jeremiah uh, who came on. So thank you for the biblical prophets, some right? Old Testament guys. Yes, we got some old T guys uh, coming on. So Daniel and Jeremiah, thank you. And then we have a Donald, and I oh. don't think it's the Donald. We have a no. Donald. And um, and so I uh, want to thank you guys for coming on our Patreon team. As always, if you want to find out more about it, you can go to patreon.com, type in Vox Podcast with Mike Erie. Uh, we're starting to get questions about whether or not we're affiliated with Vox Media, and we are not. We are our own separate 501c3. We're going to rename the podcast here uh, sometime in the next couple of months to avoid that confusion. Um, but everything that you would give uh, is tax deductible, and um, and we're all very grateful for it. And it allows us to do stuff like this. So, ladies and gentlemen, our friend Sky, and uh, hope it's uh, thought provoking, and would love to know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with the Sky King. The Sky, Sky King. our friend Sky, Jatani, um, longtime friend of the show, co-host of The Holy Post, and uh, author, speaker, and uh, lately creator of videos. Um, he, His buddy Phil, who we had on several episodes ago, did a video, a couple of videos on race. And then uh, if that wasn't inflammatory enough... Sky um, decided to do a video on abortion, and uh, and so we've been eager to kind of get his thoughts on the the video, the process, the reaction, and those sorts of things. So, Sky, thank you for coming back, my friend. Good to see you. Thank you for having me back. I love talking to you guys. Love the Vox. Love the Vox. Happy to be here. What does the Vox say? Is the question that we wrestle with <laughs> very, very uh, deeply. So, um, so one of the things, just for a bit of backdrop, Sky, and and, and um, I recognize that you and I kind of share similar inklings around some of these things. But um, I had put something out, um, and again, who who cares about what I write on social media? But the reaction to it was what was I found I found interesting. I just put something about you know it should be pretty obvious that being anti-racist. Um, is a good thing. Um, we should not, you know, Christians should be lo the loudest cheerleaders against white supremacy. Uh, you know, stuff that I would imagine, okay, pr is pr pretty consistent with the Mago Day. And, um, and in the first, literally the very first comment was about abortion. And then, so my post had nothing to do, it was about white supremacy and about whether or not Christians should loudly condemn it. The first response was abortion. Wow. And uh, several, uh, and, and that thread continued throughout the whole, the hundreds of comments that kind of rolled through the discussion. 
It was, it, it had nothing to do with white supremacy. It had everything to do with abortion. And, and I've, I've had that experience over the last five, six, seven years as we've gone through a couple of different cycles where any critique of the Republican candidate is automatically met with yes, but abortion. And, um, and so the, the, you had done a series of tweets on this that turned, got turned into a video uh, where you address literally with the words, yes, but abortion. And so, um, so I'd love to start. I, I, first of all, I want to start by just acknowledging we're three dudes talking about abortion. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, but, but, but you're going after, and this is the distinction I want to make. We're not just talking about abortion in a vacuum. We're talking about ab abortion as it pertains to the way that people of our tribe prioritize their vote. Right, they become single issue voters around this one issue, and any any deviation from that is met with pretty significant resistance. I, I will let me let me um, narrow it even further. Okay, because narrow this it. came up in some of the critique of my video, uh, from the opening sentence of the video to the last sentence of the video, the scope is clearly articulated that I am talking about voting for the presidency of the United States. Mm. I think there are cases in which abortion can be the single issue on which you vote, depending on the election and depending on the office that you are voting about. It, the, the video was all about how much effectiveness does the president actually have on this issue? Right. And therefore, should it be the preeminent or single issue that determines who you vote for president? That yes. was... Yes. my concern yes that's so i don't fault christians who think abortion is, is a preeminent issue i just want to show them that it it doesn't the presidency doesn't have as much influence on this issue as you may think right so i want to really clarify it, for another people, way of putting oh, it i wrote a follow-up to this sorry is when no, we need to not just consider the candidate and the issues but the office the office that is uh, at stake here mm -hmm. so i don't care what my local school board president thinks about u.s foreign policy because they have no influence on that issue. Right. I do care what a president or a senator thinks about that. And so likewise, we need to care about abortion and we need to care about the offices that have the most influence on that policy. And I think it's just striking that a lot of people don't realize how little influence the presidency historically has had yes. on actually affecting abortion. That's yes. the issue that I'm trying to address. Yes, and that so that narrowing is really important to specify. Because we're not, we're not sitting here as three dudes talking about abortion. We're talking about the, the ways in which voting decisions are made around the presidency. It, using this particular issue as sort of the Trump ha -ha card over everything else. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, uh, so set aside whatever, you know, for our listeners and your listeners, they're coming from all different places. Set aside whatever your particular view is. And we want to talk about that specific issue because the argument that I've been told, Sky, and that obviously uh, you've heard as, as well, is that our job uh, is to have a, the biblical position on a social issue and then to select the candidate that upholds that position. And in the case of the presidency, you do that because of the Supreme Court in the hope that, um, that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And you identify several issues with that way of of thinking so let's let's just start let's just start with the 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 big one um you you because you just said does our choice of president matter ultimately as much as we think it does to to the outcomes on um, rates of abortion yeah so um first of all let's not let's not dismantle that argument. Let's dismantle the effectiveness of it because the okay. argument is flawed too, but the effectiveness is another. So since, since Roe v. Wade was, was uh, ruled in 1973, Republican pro-life presidents have appointed 12 justices to the Supreme court. Democratic presidents have only appointed four. Hmm. And for 49 of the last 50 years, the Supreme Court has been dominated by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the, the one year that it wasn't was last year when um, uh, there was, a, a well, I think it's only this year since Ginsburg passed away that it's been a tie 4-4 hmm. Supreme Court between liberals and conservatives. But that's it. That's I mean, there's never been a year in the last 50 years where liberals have had the majority on the Supreme Court. Wow. And yet in the last 50 years, they've done nothing to overturn Roe v. Wade. And they've had opportunities. So just on the, 
Right. And there have been numerous opportunities. Exactly. 1992 is probably the most significant one. And, and in that case, it was an eight to one majority mm. of conservatives to mm. liberals. And the one liberal on the court, 92, was actually a Democrat who had voted against Roe v. Wade. So there could have been a nine zero ruling to overturn abortion, but mm -hmm. they didn't. They reaffirmed it. So anyway, if you just look at the last 50 years of history, there's no indication whatsoever that appointing yet more conservative Republicans to the Supreme Court is actually going to overturn Roe. Mm. So I think that just on a pragmatic level, at some point you got, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And that's essentially what a lot of voters are being forced into doing by thinking, well, now this time it's, it's Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown, right? Mm -hmm. This time we'll get the, the justice in the court who will overturn Roe. So that I think is, is a flawed argument. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, um, there is also, let's say it did happen. Let's say she actually keeps the football there and Charlie Brown actually gets to kick it. What's going to happen? And all the best evidence from both liberals and conservatives is that overturning Roe would do almost nothing to change abortion in the United States. Hmm. What would it do then? So, well, it, here, we would go back to the pre-1973 reality of abortion, which was one in which different states had different policies. In some states, it was outlawed. In other states, it was very accessible. And in fact, before Roe v. Wade in 1972, there were still about five or 600,000 abortions in this country, legal abortions in this country every year. Hmm. Even more interesting, today, the abortion rate is lower than it was before Roe v. Wade. So simply reversing Roe wouldn't have the impact that a lot of people think it would. And, and I think both political parties use the Roe issue as a way of animating their voters. It's a yeah. very useful political narrative. On the right, it's we need to overturn Roe to protect the unborn. And on the left, it's we need to defend Roe to protect women and their rights. And so both parties use it to get their bases fired up, to get voters into the polls. But neither one of them are being intellectually honest. And when you start, re I mean, goodness, there was just a, um, an article, I think, in, um, it may have been Vox, not your Vox, but the, <laughs> the news site Vox, which is a pretty yeah. liberal, progressive yeah, for sure. news website. And they, because they're worried about Trump's new appointee um, possibly voting to overturn Roe. And they just did an article basically saying, hey, even if Roe gets overturned, it's not the end of the world because it's not going to affect abortion that much. Hmm. So even liberals are admitting this when they hmm. really dig into the issue that it's not the silver bullet that everyone makes it out to be hmm. and yet that's what's driving so many christians in their voting decisions and and i think they're being duped a little bit by both political parties that are using this for their political advantages rather than for real change so the so if even if roe were overturned that just punts the decision back to the states correct yeah and the argument of some people is well good then we can fight on the state level and you know slowly overturn all those as well well Yes and no. The, the reality is it's already happening. Like there, there's been enormous progress on the state level to um, change laws, change policies, make, um, put things in place healthcare wise that prevents unplanned pregnancies and helps more women and families. And, and we have seen great, great progress made without having to overturn Roe. Hmm. So my argument is simply, what if we took some of the money and the energy and the effort that goes into the national effort to get a Republican president and pro-life justices and overturn Roe, if you took just a portion of that energy and really redirected it to local and state efforts that are hmm. effective, hmm. we could probably drive the abortion rate down even lower. So this is not an issue of right and wrong. It's an issue of strategy and what's effective and ineffective. Right. And David French has written about this beautifully, mm -hmm. and, and he and I have had private conversations about it as well. Um, he says, you know, what what drives a lot of donations is, is the presidency. Pro-life organizations get a lot of money fighting for the presidency, and yet when you ask people to volunteer or give money to their local pregnancy crisis center, it's not there. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a, it's sexy and it's exciting to fight about the presidency. It's not as exciting to fund the local crisis pregnancy center or really work on the ground to change adoption policies in your state. But that's where it's really happening. And that's where effective reduction mm -hmm. of abortions is seen. Mm -hmm. So um, it, th this is just an issue of what, what would be most effective at actually helping women and reducing abortions? Right. That's well, you my gave concern a stat here. too. I wish I would have written it down. You did a stat. It was, was it Texas and Delaware? Were those the right. two states? Do you remember the numbers off the top of your head that you, cause that illustrated. Yeah, that rough, really well. uh, I could probably, 
I could probably pull them up. There's too. a video um, in, if you want to refer people to that. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is a video. So Texas, obviously a red state, very conservative Republican state. Um, between 2011 and 2014, I believe they passed a number of restrictions on abortion and the abortion rate in Texas dropped by 28%. The best estimates are that if Roe were overturned, there would be a nationwide reduction of 12%. Mm. So Texas more than doubled that without Roe having to be overturned through local efforts, right? In Delaware, a blue state, they obviously took a different approach. Rather than limiting access to abortion, they expanded access to health care, especially for their poorest citizens. And it reduced the abortion rate there by 37%, mm, yeah. which is three times more than overturning Roe would do. So there's a lot that we can do apart from just electing a pro-life mm -hmm. president. And I'm not against electing a pro-life president, but I think the amount of time and energy and money that goes into that is taking away energy, time, and money that could be used more effectively to actually reduce abortions at the state and local yeah. level. Yeah, okay, so there are a couple of really big issues here. One is um, we do seem to be played in the sense that we're promised um, doing more of the same will result in... Uh, the reduction of abortions, even though the science, and this is where, you know, I think you had referenced it or I saw it from, from um, David French's uh, Twitter account, but it was that, that abortion, the rate of abortion was going down um, dramatically regardless of who was president. And That's one right. of the biggest drops had been during the Obama administration. And, um, and it was because of these local efforts and community efforts, among other trends, that allow allow sure. people to see that there there could be other options, or to not even get into that situation to begin with. So one of the big one of the big claims that I think is very very significant is that yes, okay, if if you are pro life and you're pro um, everything we can do to save the lives of these babies, then what's the most effective thing to do? And, and your argument is, well, it, the most effective thing to do isn't to spend all this time and energy on pro-life presidents and uh, Supreme Court justices at the expense of the local right. efforts that seem to be developing the most fruit uh, in terms of actually That's reducing right. the number. So, so simply put, um, who you vote for president is less impactful on abortion than who you vote for your governor hmm. or who you vote for your local state legislature. Hmm. Those races and those offices have proven to have far more influence on reducing abortions than who is sitting in the Oval All Office. Right. And I think our money and energy and effort and rhetoric should reflect that reality. So let's say, That's so let's all. say everything you're saying is true. Um, how does that help to navigate the waters of presidential elections. In other words, one of the critiques I would have of my tribe is that we claim to be pro-life, but we mean pro-baby. And mm -hmm. when we find out about, you know, 500 kids that it can't be reunited with their, uh, we can't find their parents or civilians that have been bombed because of drone targets um, or, you know, what any number of other horrific you know, sort of circumstances, there seems to be this wiping away of that because as long as we're voting pro-life, anything else that happens isn't as significant as that, right? right? So so can you speak to that kind of way of thinking a little bit? Because I think some people will go, yeah. okay, well, that's interesting, but I still, it's still murder, Sky, and, um, and, and it, how can I vote for it? Even if my vote isn't effective, isn't there something morally symbolic about casting right. my vote for a pro-life president. Okay, so let, let's take a step back. You use this really important word, symbolic. Mm. And, and this is not in the video, and we didn't have time to get into this because if the video gets too long, no one will watch it. <laughs> um, I, I, I tend to, to put pro, especially Christian pro-life voters into three categories. Mm. One are the, the people who are most concerned with the solution, mm. right? I would, I put myself there, right? What, how do I vote in a way which is going to maximize a pragmatic solution to abortion? Mm. That's going to help the most women, save the most kids, all those kinds of things. That's who the video was really targeting. That's who I'm trying to speak to. Then there are those Christians who primarily vote about pro-life issues. Sim Sorry, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Completely hacky. See him yes. back here? <laughs> yes, he's coughing up a hairball, but it's fine. Yeah, that's Alfie. He's 15 oh, years old. Oh, sweet Alfie. Um, 
So, so there's the solution-oriented voter, then there's the symbolic mm. voter. And for them, it's not so much who, which policies or uh, strategies or elected officials and offices are going to reduce abortion, but it's about presenting a righteous nation yeah. to God, yeah. right? We want laws on the books that conform to what God wants from us. Yeah. Um, so this is a pretty crass way of putting it, but if given this false option of keep abortion legal, but make it, you know, almost non-existent or make abortion illegal, but continue at the same rate it's currently at, these people would probably choose the option of, of make it illegal, even though it's not actually going to reduce the number because we would then not be guilty of endorsing something that's evil with that's our That's right. That's laws, exactly, right? that's exactly that's a, the critique right. I read about you sky yes. the internet so, said mean things those are the symbolic voters there's a third category i'll get to in a second but the problem with that approach and i wrote about this in response is to put it kind of bluntly god's not stupid hmm. right you see one of the themes you see throughout the bible is that he doesn't give a rip about symbols if they're not backed up by genuine heartfelt devotion justice love whatever you know, the symbol represents. So he rejects the worship of Israel because he says their lips praise me, but their hearts mm -hmm. are far from me. Mm -hmm. Jesus critiques the Pharisees because they were very righteous in all their obedience to the law and they had all the right customs and procedures and all that. But he said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look mm -hmm. beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and mm -hmm. unclean. Paul rejects the symbol of circumcision because he said, it's not an outward symbol that makes you a Jew, but it's the inward posture of your heart, right? Mm -hmm. It's the one who obeys the law. Mm -hmm. So merely having a righteous law on the books that says abortion is murder, but don't actually reduce the number of abortions is not going to bring God's, God's grace and, and blessing on this country. Mm. So I, I think there are certain Christians mm. out there who have this pharisaical view that like the Holy Spirit roams over the surface of the earth, just looking for countries that have perfectly composed laws mm. and doesn't care about what that country is actually doing. Like, okay, do you support Israel? Do you support Mm -hmm. you know, pro-life policies, you know, and that's it. And then it doesn't matter what's actually happening on the ground, but God does care about what's happening. And we're going to be judged for what we do, not for what we look like. Mm -hmm. And so the mm -hmm. symbolic idea of, well, we just need to have the righteous laws to get God's blessing. Honestly, I think it's more about alleviating the guilty conscience of American Christians than it is about actually saving babies or helping women, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't want our identity associated with a country that in endorses the evil of slavery or of, uh, of abortion. Mm -hmm. So I would like righteous laws as well, but I want righteous laws that are a reflection of a righteous people, hmm. not just a symbol that we put up before God saying, don't judge us because we have the right law in the book. So you have the solution oriented voter, you have the symbolic voter, pro-life voter. And then the third one are those who vote pro-life as a shield hmm. to distract to give a moral justification to distract from the issues they actually care about. Hmm. Explain that more. Well, back in 2018, Lifeway, which is the Southern Baptist research arm, did a really interesting study of evangelical voters hmm. and determined what were the most important issues that determined how evangelicals cast their ballots. Hmm. And the, the shocking thing about that study, again, this is the Southern Baptist's own study. Right. This isn't Gallup. This isn't Pew. This isn't one yeah. of those secular organizations, this is the Southern Baptist, they found that among evangelical voters, abortion ranked eighth in importance in determining their vote. Wow. It wasn't number one or two or five. It was hmm. eighth. Hmm. The number one issue, at least in 2016, Come on. was taxes in the economy. That's what I'm talking and about, baby. Issue was, and the number, the number two issue was immigration. Mm. So for some people, I'm not saying all, but for some people, when they are asked, why do you vote the way you vote? They will say abortion or because I'm pro-life, but it's a shield to cover up what they're really motivated by, which is money or immigration. And I'm not saying the money and immigration are illegitimate issues to vote on, but they don't have as much of a biblical justification or a moral platform for those concerns as they do for abortion. Mm. So they use a abortion as a shield to say, no, I'm righteous, I'm moral, that's what's driving my vote, when in reality, it's more about economics or immigration. So that's the third category. And mm. when you're dealing with somebody who says they're pro-life and they're going to vote a certain way, what I'm trying to diagnose is, okay, what, which one of these three do they fall under? Mm. Is it just a shield 
is it a symbol for them or are they actually looking for a solution that's going to help as many people as possible? Mm. And I think that mm. that solution category is the one that I'm trying to talk through in a more nuanced way. Yeah, no, that's th- those are very helpful distinctions. I wonder, um, I immediately thought of a, a category and I wouldn't know where to put it under the others. Uh, almost a, a, a simple, like um, pro-life only means pro-baby. Um and and it doesn't mean pro woman and it doesn't mean pro immigrant and it doesn't mean you know what i mean like it, sure. it seems like there's a simplified version of the pro life movement that has that cares very little about life once it's here yeah and you know there's i don't want to disparage people who hold that point of view because i think i kind of understand it okay i i think they can they can make a case that yeah there are these other horrific things that are happening the racism, injustices, things like that, that exist in our society. But in their framing of it, the taking of roughly 800,000 innocent unborn lives every year is, is a genocide. It's a, it's, it's a Holocaust of a sort mm. that is, is way beyond what horrors may exist at the Southern border or the fact that 500 children have been separated from their parents and they can't be found by the justice department. I mean, those are all horrific, but this one is so disproportionately large that they feel like it has to eclipse all the others. Mm -hmm. And to a degree, I understand that point of view. And if somebody holds that point of view and says, I will simply not vote for any candidate who is pro-choice, I think that's a morally um, justifiable and and consistent argument to have. However, to simply say because a candidate is pro-life, they automatically get my vote is not the same, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think this is David French's argument. He would say that a candidate has to be pro-life to earn his vote, but they can't only be pro-life. So a candidate who says they're pro-life, but actually perpetuates these other injustices and dehumanizing horrors in our society is not worthy of our vote. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's huge. It's, it, it's a necessary but not sufficient condition exactly. in my philosophical training. It, so for David, for others, it would have to be true, but it can't only be true. That's right. And okay. I think the person who says, yeah, Trump does all these terrible things or his administration has done or perpetuated these injustices, but abortion, that's not good enough. Hmm. Hmm. That's not that's not a morally sufficient excuse for the other atrocities. And, I, and to everyone's surprise, uh, John Piper came out and just wrote a piece. We, were, sho- we ex- were shocked. Exactly that point that that the things that this president has says and done and said and done uh, aren't outdone by the fact that he says he's pro-life. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. And and there were there were Vox updates scurrying the vox media team of this podcast were scurrying onto the interwebs <laughs> to to verify the article you tweeted out to go oh my goodness this is kind of a big deal um and i guess that's what i meant by more the simplified view that 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 because of this all other considerations are rendered secondary right and i i don't i, I personally don't see that kind of permission given um uh you know, but that's a different, that's a different debate for a different yeah, day. And again, if, if you really believe that, then my, my argument would be, then you should want to pursue the policies and the elected officials who will do the most to reduce that horror that you see happening in our country. And simply voting for a pro-life president is not the answer. So in, in, well, that's the the good. The good becomes, or the best becomes, the enemy of the good. Exactly. In that circumstance, right? Right. I, I can only hold out for the absolute abolition of Roe and all abortion, and to do anything else but that is to compromise. Yes. Yeah. And and, and I uh, that's a very principled way to to think of things, but it's actually not what's going to help solve the problem. Right. And and we have parallels. People, one of the more common um, rebuttals I've gotten about this whole video was, well, th- what you're saying would be horrific if you applied it to slavery. That's right. That's right. Right. Yep. And there's a lot of problems with equating abortion with slavery, which I wrote about in a response. But we got to remember, like Abraham Lincoln was not opposed to slavery or he wasn't advocating abolition when he was elected in 1860. Hmm. So, you know, he was a pragmatist on the issue. He didn't launch the Civil War with the intent of freeing the slaves either. Hmm. Um, 
so, and these are, these issues are a little bit apples and oranges, which we, we can get into if you want, but uh, you can't just simply take a pragmatic approach to reducing abortion and saying a pragmatic approach to reducing slavery is not morally justifiable. Hmm. Yeah, that's been, that's been something you've been hearing. Um, Sky, as you, because, and again, the reason this, this seems so important isn't whether or not you listener agree with the morality of abortion or not, it's that, that the primary, one of the primary reasons that only Trump and only Trump would be considered, um, is, is simply that he's the pro-life candidate. And we're saying, well, yes, but there, you know, the reality is much more complicated than that. Have there been any reactions, um, from the Christian side of things that have surprised you? Anything you weren't expecting? Um, I don't know if anything's been surprising. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of affirmation. There's a little, plenty of people who who have um, been very kind in, in in affirming the video and saying thank you for putting research and mm-hmm. language to ideas that I've I've thought about for a long time. I, one of the more surprising, I think, Richard Rich Stearns, who's the president of World Vision, yeah. affirmed it and retweeted it out and said something along the lines like the video shows a lot of the story behind abortion that a lot of people aren't aware of and you know it'll open your eyes and i think some of what was i found most interesting in researching the video and writing the script has been what was the world like before 1973 Hmm. before roe v wade because i think a lot of people on all sides have the assumption that before 1973 abortion was super rare in america and um, you know, Christian values dominated the culture, dominated the culture, mm-hmm. and therefore uh, it wasn't until 1973 that we saw this explosion of, of abortion. And it's actually just the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like uh, abortion was widely accepted in the 19th century. It was legal everywhere in the United States in 1776. In the 1930s, even at the height of anti-abortion laws, there were still about 800,000 abortions every year in this country, legal abortions, which is about the same number we have today. So the history I think is interesting because it, it if you believe that abortion began in 1973 with Roe, it's easy to assume that overturning Roe is the solution to it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. Even without Roe v. Wade, we would still have this much more complicated cultural and moral um, dilemma of how do we solve this problem. It's it's far more insidious and complicated than people think. Mm-hmm. And the simple answers offered by politicians on all sides is meant to drive political engagement rather and fundraising rather than that. So the history is worth looking into to understand that it, it, it's very different than slavery. Slavery could be outlawed with a constitutional amendment. Mm-hmm. Abortion cannot. It won't mm-hmm. be ended. Making it illegal. I mean, I used the example of Michigan in the video. Michigan prior to Roe did have laws against abortion. And yet over a two-year period, 30,000 women from Michigan traveled to New York for a legal abortion. Mm-hmm. 30,000. That doesn't count all the women who performed abortions illegally. Yeah, or didn't right? report it. Or didn't report it. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it isn't like just having the right law in the book solves this right. problem. Right. We need to have a more holistic vision of how we're going to deal with this. It's, it's a little bit more akin to the drug problem, where simply making a mm-hmm. drug illegal doesn't mean people aren't using it. Right. Right. It, it requires a holistic approach. And um, the simplicity with which we address this issue in too many of our Christian communities and certainly in our politics is not helpful. No. And I think, I think now we're on to... Um, where we meet the heart of, of Christ, even in the midst of the policy discussions, right? That, um, that simply announcing you are pro-life, um, and that abortion is murder doesn't do enough to care for the people who are considering, who feel like there's no other choice, who feel absolutely trapped in systems they did not create and cannot escape, uh, it does nothing to address those deep heart, brutal issues that are easy to talk about as guys because they don't affect us the same way. Right. And um, and and so yeah, I I, I think you're onto something there um, because you know I mean preaching in the choir here, but but Jesus's approach um, was so different from the religious shaming and condemnation of this day. And when you have people in the name of pro life shaming and condemning. Um, we even had somebody, you know, hey, if it saved one life, 
isn't it worth turning off a hundred people to Christ? And, uh, that was his argument, you know, even if you save one life and, um, which I thought was, you know, I mean, again, I appreciate that there's consistency sometimes in these directions, though. I would heartily disagree with that, uh, that kind of conclusion. Um, so if, if people are listening, Sky, and are confused by all of this, um, just what are a couple of really practical takeaways? So on the one hand, let's say, um, I am deeply pro-life, I am a committed Christian, and I want to see the number of abortions decrease. What, what would you say to me? I would say, number one, you, it, when it, as it comes to voting, I would investigate what are your local and state officials' views on healthcare policy, on adoption policy, and on abortion. Because what they view and what they want to enact on the local and state level has proven to have a deep impact on the number of abortions in an area. Sometimes that means uh, limits on abortion, limiting late-term abortion, waiting periods before an abortion. Um, it means easier access for adoption, lower costs for adoption, greater funding for crisis pregnancy centers. Those kinds of policies really make a difference. It's not that the law and politics doesn't matter. It does. It just happens to matter disproportionately more at the local and state level than, good, at the, yeah. than at the federal. That's number one. Number two, um, if you're listening to this podcast, my hope is you're a part of a local church and that local church is engaged in the local community. Find out what is your church doing to support women and families that find themselves in circumstances where abortion may be uh, a, a viable option and you want to help them think differently about it. Are you engaged at a local pregnancy center? And what are you doing? There's those local things and they're different in every community. Hopefully your church has some connections to those and then find out what can you do to help? What check can you write? What time can you volunteer? What resources can you can you uh, allocate there? Those kinds of things do way, way, way more than how you cast a vote for the presidency once every four years. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good stuff, Sky. Tim, do you have any thoughts, buddy? No, I think you guys are cruising. I was the whole the whole last section while you were talking. The only thing that kept going through my head was um, hearing Jesus say. You know, you heard it said, you know, fight for the unborn. But what I say to you is, you know, be a little bit more intentional than the four year, you know, that, that seems to be like the theme through the Sermon on the Mount is like, it's not just making this proclamation and this big rule to follow. It's like, let's break it down and care for people and get involved with their lives. Yeah. I, w I would encourage people to just, um, take a few minutes and consider the mental exercise of what if tomorrow you wake up and abortion is illegal everywhere in the United States, what would you do? If that would fundamentally change the way you engage this issue, then something's wrong mm. Mm. because making it illegal everywhere in the United States is probably not going to change the number of abortions, mm. Mm. right? It's still going to be a problem. And there are still going to be women who need help. There are still going to be families that need support. There's still going to be the conditions that give rise to the to the instinct to get an abortion. And we still have to address that. So again, it's a lot like saying if drugs are illegal everywhere in the country and you think therefore you don't have any that's right. anything to worry about or there's no moral concern that a Christian should have, that's right. obviously ridiculous. Yeah. So um I don't want to disparage those who are fighting and working on the, in the legal realm and the political realm for, for, for good and, and just policies, but it's not the biggest piece of this puzzle. Hmm. And we pretend as if it's not only the biggest piece, but the only piece right. sometimes. Right, right. And that's, that's foolish. Well, dude, this is really good stuff. I'm grateful for you and Phil and the Holy Post team tackling some of these really big issues. And, um, man, you've been such a great friend to us. So thank you. Um, I just got my ballot today, so I'm going <laughs> to rethink everything. Um, any, any, any other, uh, you got any other stuff coming up, Scott, we'd want to keep an eye out for? Um, we are still making more videos. Phil, I don't know when this episode is going to go live for you guys for Vox, but Phil's working on a video right now. Shouldn't share this stuff, but it's, it's essentially titled, how should Christians vote? Mm. And that one will it's really well done. I'm writing a script for a video. I don't know when this one will out. It's basically looking at migration policy. Hmm. And 
there's a number of people, it's kind of a derogatory term now, but being the, the um, son of an immigrant, I feel okay saying this. There's a lot of people about the brown of them. Mm-hmm. The fact that whites will be a minority by, was it 2045? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the, the 1965 immigration law that actually led to what's called chain migration or mm-hmm. family reunification, mm-hmm. which the Trump administration and the irony being that it was white conservatives who pushed for that to be added to the immigration bill, which backfired spectacularly and led to the browning of America rather than keeping it white. So we'll do a video about that. Um, And then we'll probably move into some upcoming videos on the history of evangelicalism, the difference between evangelicalism and fundamentalism, the rise Mm -hmm. of mega churches. We got a bunch of great stuff in the, in the queue. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, listen, appreciate you guys. Thanks for all that you do. Uh, Sky Jatani, everybody, uh, you can find him on Twitter and go to the Holy Post Facebook page, website, um, and uh, that's all I got. Sky, any last words? No, I love being with you guys. Thank you for always uh, jumping right into the big issues rather than running away from them. <laughs> well, I appreciate that about you, my friend. All right, thank you so much, uh, our dear Fox friends, dear Vox friends. Thank you for tuning in. Go ahead and check out the video we're talking about and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.